you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kitty Aki. That's me. Welcome back. I have an exciting guest for you today, my friend Bill Holmes. He's amazing. I actually met him in 2014 at the SAG Conservatory. He hasn't been able to get rid of me since. He's a VO legend and uh, he goes by the voiceover doctor. He taught me about branding and voiceovers and maybe we'll get into it today. He has built an empire with no further ado. Let me just bring on Bill Holmes. Bill, how are you? Hello, Katie Tanakis. I'm doing good. Good to see you again. Yes, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. I'm honored that you asked. I'm very flattered. Thank you. The person tuning in is in for a great treat today. We hope so. We'll see. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, Let's just kind of start from the beginning. Where are you from? And then when did you get the intuitive hit about voiceovers? Okay. Um, Well, I'm originally from uh, the Chicago area. I grew up on a farm in a little town called Gurney, Illinois. And uh, I went to uh, acting school in Chicago. And then when they threw me out, I uh, just started auditioning around and I did a lot of theater. I did some musical theater. I did commercials, a little bit of everything. Obviously, Chicago, a lot of improvisational comedy, some stand-up comedy. But what uh, the voiceover thing came when uh, I was in Chicago with my agent, uh, Amelia Lawrence at the time, and uh, she hired a new gal by the name of Linda Jack, and Linda ran the voiceover department there, and I was probably about 22 years old, I'm guessing, 23, and I just remember going into Linda's office telling her how important I was, and I was nobody at this point, you know, I'm just like, but she was a new agent, and I thought, well, you know, I'll get her, you know, I'll get her, I gotta tell her I'm really important. And uh, so we went to lunch and, and chatted and I said, hey, man, you know, and back then they were reel to reel tapes, you know, there wasn't digital back then. And uh, so yeah, I would see all these reel to reel tapes on, on the wall behind her desk. And I would say, hey, I want to do this. I want to do this voiceover thing. And she kind of looked at me and said, you know, why don't you go get an acting job? you know, go get a film or something first. I'm like, okay, so if I get a film or something, then you'll let me do this voiceover thing. And she said, yeah, sure. Puff, puff, get out of here, you know. And uh, so about a year went by and I booked uh, my very first industrial film. It was a film about hospital safety uh, produced by a guy named Jerry Rogers back in Chicago. And um, I got my SAG card with that film. That's that's what got me into the Screen Actors Guild. And then uh, I immediately went back to Linda and I said, hey, I, I just booked this little film. You said I could do this. Now, I, you know, now I want to do this. And she was kind of like, oh, geez, this kid, you know. And so she hands me a slip of paper and she goes, here, uh, go on this audition. And I remember it was for Clark Bars, you know, the candy bar, Clark Bars. And it was just a radio spot in Chicago. And, and I booked it. It was the first thing I auditioned for, and I booked it, you know. And she went, oh, okay, well, here, go on this one, you know, a couple of days later. And then I booked that one. You know, and so she said, well, okay, go get me a demo and I guess we'll do this thing. And then uh, I had a friend in Chicago. Her name is Marie Kirk Burke, uh, who was a big time voiceover person in Chicago. And she kind of helped me cobble together a, a, a demo. And I was also friends with a guy named Chelsea Ross, who is like one of the biggest voiceover guys in the world at the time, especially Chelsea's in a lot of films too. He's in major league, he's in Hoosiers and, you know, he's one of those old Chicago character actors, but he, you know, so these older Chicagoans uh, actors, they kind of took me under their wing and I was kind of like the new young funny guy, you know, in Chicago at the time. And uh, they just started recommending me to, you know, back in the old days, 
you actually got to go to the ad agencies and meet the writers and you got to meet the producers and stuff. It wasn't like LA where you have to you have to go to your agent's office and audition there. And these days now it's all from home, you know. So I got to go meet these people and give them my demos and stuff. And they just started, you know, hiring me. And some of them would write stuff for me. Back in the day, I was was like the voice of Marshall Fields, which was a big, you know, like Macy's. But it was Chicago was Marshall Fields. In fact, Macy's bought Marshall Fields. So Marshall Fields is gone now. But I was the voice of that. And, you know, I'd hear myself on the radio every day. And that was, you know, I was a young actor in Chicago. That, that was a really cool thing to be driving down Lakeshore Drive. And it's like, hey, that's my commercial on, on the radio, you know? So so that was kind of the beginnings of my voiceover journey. And then when I moved to Los Angeles to uh, pursue more film and television, my voiceover career stopped 100%. I stopped working at all. And I was working all the time in Chicago. But yeah, go Real ahead. Real quick, and where and these good old days and times, yeah. what times were they? Uh, roughly like around which? Uh, which the you... early 1980s. Okay. How exciting. And your family must have been so proud or like not having a clue or like really <laughs> bullish to be like, you know, like the star of Chicago. That's so cool. Well, and- I, I wasn't the star of Chicago. I was I was a blue collar working actor. I was doing really well. And, and again, my wife and I, uh, you know, we had just gotten married right around that time. And, you know, we bought a little condominium. So I was an actor and I owned property and I had my first child, you know, back then. So it was, it was very exciting. And now my son, you know, occasionally does voiceover stuff. So it's it's kind of full circle now, but it it was a lot of fun. And when I came to LA, I did a lot of on-camera stuff. So my on-camera career took off commercially. And so I kind of forgot about voiceover when the on-camera stuff started you know, <laughs> waning off because uh, the honeymoon period was over for me in L.A. Uh, that's when I thought I'd get back in the VO. And I took a part time job at a place out here called The Voice Caster uh, when it was being run by Bob Lloyd, uh, the original owner. And uh, I became a, a booth director at The Voice Caster. And then all of a sudden, every agent in town knew who I was. I was Bill from The Voice Cat. Before that, they wouldn't even let me in the door. They wouldn't even pay any attention to me. But, you know, Bob Lloyd would take all the agents out for Christmas dinner and stuff. And I'd be there and, you know, these agents would come to me and go, hey, how can we, oh my God, how come we've never heard of you? You know, but you send your demo over. And I sent my demo over to uh, Sandy Schnarr, who is now runs uh, AVO Talent out here. And uh, and Sandy signed me. And that's, that's really when things started really taking off for me out here in LA. And on top of it, I was working at the VoiceCaster and that's when I started teaching voiceover. And that's when I started making voiceover demos all for part-time work because my wife and I kept having children. Uh, and I, you know, and children, I don't know, they like to eat. <laughs> Go yeah. So you got to make money and feed them. So and- that's why I started all my side jobs. Yeah, you remind me ever since we met, you always remind me like your personality and stuff. You're just just such a good person. And like, Thanks. you remind me of my dad. I tell I tell you this all the time. You, you remind me of my dad. And uh, my mom and dad have four kids. You, you and your wife had four kids. And I just three. I have three kids. Oh, I thought you had four. No, I didn't tell my wife about that one. So please. Uh, let's see, I knew it. We'll I knew it. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how uh, you pay homage to uh, all the names you've been saying. I just think it's so important. So thank you for sharing these people's yeah. names on the show, too. Well, it is important. Part about your journey. Well, these are the people who, who took me in and, and took me under their wing and helped me. I mean, Linda Jack is the 
best agent I've ever had in my life. She was she was a real agent. You know, I've had agents since, you know, I'm in my 60s now and I've had agents since that, you know, they answer the phone and they send you out on stuff. But Linda, Linda was the kind of agent that would pick up the phone and go, hey, have you seen this new kid? You know, you really need to see him. I'm going to send him over. And she was an old fashioned agent. But those were the times back in the early 80s that you could do things like that. You know, we spoke about this off the record earlier, but you know, back then, 90% of the work was union. It was all union. And you didn't even think about doing non-union work because why would you want to? I mean, I could, uh, you know, I one of the jobs I had early in my career was uh, Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats. I was the voice of Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats. I did two commercials and I lived off of that for two years, just two commercials because of the residuals. Because I don't know if you notice on TV, cereal spots run 24 hours a day. You know, and these days, all those types of commercials now are non-union buyouts where you only make about four or five thousand dollars and then they get to use them on all this different media as much as they want. So so the good old days, I mean, those commercials are still around, but it's maybe about 20 percent of the work now is the union type of stuff where you can really make a killing, you know, yeah. commercials, you know. Yeah. I wonder how it is for the newbie coming in who aren't aware of the good old days of the union jobs, if they're excited about these non-union jobs and just doing them and not thinking about the repercussions of yeah. being having a union job. Well, I mean, it's very different in respect that the business has not kept up with technology. Okay. And technology, again, you're sitting at home in a, your own little studio at your house right now. And, and we talked earlier and you have three different studios in three different cities, right? You know, and that's, that's kind of what is killing the business is that anybody can have a studio in their house because of the digital technology and the access to the software and the programs that, you know, back in the eighties didn't exist. I mean, in the eighties, I had to go from audition to audition to audition. You know, I would go downtown Chicago on the train and I would spend the day there and I'd meet my friends at coffee shops and whatnot and we'd have coffee and meet for lunch and stuff because we we had an audition here at, you know, 10 o'clock and we had an audition here at one o'clock and then we had an audition over here or a job at three o'clock. And so I would spend my whole day downtown and then get on the train and go home that night, you know, and, and play with the kid and stuff. So, and even when I came out to LA, you know, I had, I, maybe somebody will relate to this. I drove, I learned LA driving because, and I had a Thomas guide. They used to have a thing called the Thomas guide. Have you heard of that? Yes, I remember. All right. Well, you're a young kid. I don't know. So, but you know, there was no GPS and I had to learn how to get around Los Angeles by using that Thomas guide. And I would have, you know, three or four different changes of clothes in the back of my car because I would, I'd have four or five auditions a day on camera when I was doing on camera stuff, you know, and, and again, it wasn't worth it to go home in between because you got to drive over the hill on you know, Laurel Canyon or whatever. And you're in traffic. So yeah, you would just find your favorite places over in Hollywood or Culver City or where it whatever studio you were auditioning at and uh, and just hang out all day. So so in that regard, it's it's very different. Now, I don't leave my house now, you know, and, and I just happen to own a studio here and that's three miles from my house. So now I just basically come to the studio all day because now I produce and direct things and whatnot. And uh, but my auditions, I have I have my studio here and I just knock out the auditions as they come during the day. And, you know, I, I never get in my car anymore. I, ne yeah. I never drive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing this, the stories and, um, you know, how things were and, and the good old days and, and where we are now. Because congratulations, I've been to your studio many times. It's very fun and playful. I, I love your studio. And you're able with the technology to do your auditions how you want to do them if you want to do them. But then it gives you a wider capacity to do things like demo reels for people, sure courses, classes, coachings, building your empire of um, <laughs> producing and directing. So right. uh, yeah, so that's that's really exciting. Do you want to talk more about your studio and like what you have to offer there? Or do you want to kind of dive into uh, how you shape-shifted into uh, writing and directing? Well, I'll, I'll talk about the studio for a minute. I basically, the studio I'm in now, I just started teaching out of here. I had a, a double-decker cassette recorder, which I thought was pretty technologically advanced at the time. And uh, I would give away cassette tapes and people would take my class and they're like, wait a minute, you're giving me this for free? Oh my God, you know. No, no, you paid me a lot of money. Take the cassette, you know. But I started teaching uh, first out of the VoiceCaster with a woman named Kat Lehman. She asked me to start teaching because she thought I was a pretty good director. And then I started there. And then when I left uh, her establishment, I kind of set out on my own. And that's kind of when I became the voiceover doctor because people kept saying, you know, you're really good at diagnosing my problem and then telling me how to fix it. And I said, yeah, I'm the doctor. I'm the voiceover doctor. You know, so it's, it's kind of a self-appointed uh, uh, phrase that I came up with. But people seemed to really enjoy, you know, my classes and it was good money to, you know, feed my kids and whatnot. And then I started doing the demos as well because I did my demo first because I didn't like the demos I heard out there. And my demo got me an agent right away, like I said earlier with Sandy Schnarr. And then I had a friend of mine say, hey, man, would you make me a demo? I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple hundred dollars. And I thought, wait, a couple hundred dollars? Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is back in the early 90s. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll make a demo. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't even know if I'm good at this, you know? But he's giving me money. And I did his demo and he got an agent. And then somebody else, you know, asked me. And, and I think I charged $400 that time. I said, you know, $400. And they went, okay. And I'm like, okay, man, I just said four. Are you crazy? You know? And uh, and then that person got it. As these people kept getting agents off of the demos we were making, uh, I started making demos with a guy named Dave Burgess, who was a, a technical genius, as well as a very artistic, uh, great actor. And he used to work over at the ABC radio network. And I said to him, I said, you know, Dave, I think I think we could start a little business here making demos. And uh, I said, Kit, you think we can go over to ABC and use those studios? And he just kind of said, oh, you can come to my house. I'm like, come to your house. And he had, he, he had all this technical equipment in his den. But then I started moving over to more this studio that I'm in. And this is in the mid 90s, you know that I was teaching out of. And then I just never really left here. Um, so, uh, you know, jumping way ahead now, when I started producing uh, certain things, I would rent out this studio and I, I took over one of the major studios here and tried to make go of it. And it really didn't work out. So I kept the back studios uh, to teach out of. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my current partner, Shane Salk, Shane Salk Productions, he came to me with a project. He wanted to do a radio drama version of A Christmas Carol. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I'm thinking, yeah, let's do radio, you know. Uh, but it uh, again, I was the old guy and I didn't realize that podcasting and everything was on the verge of being all the rage, you know. Mm -hmm. so we, we made that here at this studio. 
And we had people like uh, Maurice LaMarche and Rob Paulson and you know Neil Flynn, Robbie Rist. We had a lot of really good people in it. And just as a side note, we also did a Spanish version, which I'm really proud of. Oh, wow. And, that's so cool. Yeah, oh, and, and real quick, yeah. I had uh, Shane on the podcast and he goes in depth. So uh, for the person tuning in, I'll put it in the show notes so you can listen to that episode after. Okay, great. Great. So anyway, we did we did a Christmas Carol and it won a couple of awards and everybody liked it. And then a couple of years later, Shane came to me and said he had an idea for a, an audio drama series, you know, a fantasy series and a, a noir series. And, you know, could I make it? And I said, well, if you move here from New York, yeah, well, let's make it together. And he moved out here and uh, we raised some money together. And uh, we we did this uh, show called Carcerum that you can uh uh, download, you know, wherever you get podcasts. We've won multiple awards with that. And we have Car Serum, C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M. A lot of people spell it C-U-M or yeah. R-U-M, but it's E-M at the end. And it'll be in the show notes as well. Okay, great. Yeah. So we've made that and it's had over 250,000 downloads so far. And we've hey. won about 16 awards uh, out there as best podcast and best music and all this stuff. So that's when we kind of turn the studio into a studio. Uh, we rented it mainly to make our own products. Um, but then we've had uh, other clients come to us. We're working with a company out of Korea. We're working on some animated stuff. And uh, we mainly, these days, we record a lot of uh, video games. Uh, some of the biggest video game titles that you can think of that I'm not allowed to talk about, uh, but uh, they're recorded right here in our little studio. So it's a, it's a fun time. We're having a good time with that. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing. That's so neat. Yeah. Video games are really popular. I audition for them all the time. It's insane yeah. of how many, how many voiceover auditions I go out for. It's They've been very uh, busy throughout the whole time I've been with Vox, V-O-X, and yeah. uh, I'm with Vox because of you. Like you are the one that set it all up and put me with Tom Lawless and the whole Vox fam. I mean, literally, it's almost been a decade. We're in 2023 right now. It's almost been a decade. And they're still holding on to me. I'm like crying. I'm like, I'm like crying. I, I just, but I mean, I, I send it in immediately. I do great work. I label everything correctly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm not like a pain in anyone's, you know what? So yeah. I mean, they just, they throw me auditions. Like it's just one click for them to send them, but I'm grateful. Cause you know, when he sat me down with you from day one, cause do you remember? Like I, I like begged you to come with me. Cause I have, yeah. I have so much social anxiety. I get like very nervous. Although I talk a lot. Sometimes I talk just because I'm, I don't know how to stop talking just because I'm nervous and people are I like so sad about you sometimes I don't know how to stop talking or I get nervous <laughs> a little of both <laughs> yeah exactly and so you were so sweet to come with me because I, I was like shaking like my nerves are just like jacked yeah. but you came and he he told me he's like this is the process he's like they have their go-to people he, he's like you might not get anything and then all of a sudden you get something or some the their go-to person isn't available they're not available right. from a holiday or whatever or they're booked on something but they see your name they know your name and then you get cast and then you start working all the time so he says it happens like that quick but it could take a, a while and I'm still yeah. here <laughs> ah. Well, yeah. you're still there. They didn't, they didn't, you know, kick your ass out. So that's a good sign, you know? Thank goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, Lissa, she went over to Riot Games. She, I just saw right. she, had a, she has a promotion now there, which is really cool. So I remember when she was at Vox with like, with her dog and she would like go on walks, like with her dog at the office. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's cool. I've seen some people like come and go in Vox yeah. with you in the voiceover industry. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people come and go. I have. Well, you know, it's, 
it's fun for me because you know I have uh, worked with a lot of people like you, and I've I've helped start their careers, and it's it's a fun thing. What's shifted for me is you know. I've, I've trained a few directors who were working at my studio, and now three of those directors have gone on to their video game directors now. They've left me, and they're working for this video game company, and uh, they're they're directing some of the biggest titles out there. And that's, that's really gratifying to me that, you know, we were all just hanging out here drinking tequila and playing darts, and, uh, you know, now... A couple of them have gone out and bought a house and, and whatnot because of their promotions within the, the video game world. So, so yeah. it's very gratifying to me to see things like that, you know, and, and when people like you, you know, when you book something, you know, I, I get a kick out of it. It's, it's a lot of fun because, you know, I remember being that young guy and getting my first video game and getting my first commercial and all that stuff. You know, obviously I have it implanted in my brain and tell the stories. It's an exciting feeling for me when somebody comes along and, you know, I get to help them get started. And most of those people now are making way more money than me. <laughs> and and occasionally I get lunch out of it. So I'm happy about that. Or a, or a lotto <laughs> ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll get the lotto tickets. Too. Yeah. You like the lotto yeah, tickets. Yeah. So um, what I would like to dive into it, mention because when you were um, saying how you branded yourself as the voiceover doctor and I'm I'm a walking talking billboard for you like Thank you. for sure yeah 1000 and two things I would like to share one when I would you know t- when I tell people about you it's like you know when you need your teeth fixed you go to a dentist when you want uh, your back fixed you go to a chiropractor I'm like if you want to be in voiceover you go to Bill Holmes he's the voiceover doctor Thank and you. he will hear your voice on a zoom and just through a session and like, because the times change, you know, like right now, you know, uh, it's authentic, really authentic. Some are like in your face, tell it how it is like comedians. Sometimes they want spoken word poetry types, but depending if it's promo or animation, you can like listen and dissect, like you said, someone's voice and tell them, cause there's so many areas of voiceover that one could work like video games yeah. or, you know, podcast series now, commercials, sure. um, Things like that. And then the other thing is, you know, you have this animation of it's like a, a cartoon and animation of yourself and it, you it's you and but you're wearing um, like a, a doctor's white jacket and stethoscope microphone thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so you taught me about that. And then I was working with this director on a movie and there was three Katie's and because of my voice the director called me cartoon Katie because yeah. ever since I met you in 2014 I was searching for my brand my brand and it took until you know it took a couple years but then it clicked I'm like oh cartoon Katie so then yeah. I got the email then it took me forever to I tried to do caricatures but then I finally found my NFT Tokyo Punks that I made like half my face, half the character of animation. And I call it Cartoon Katie. And so it takes a while. It's a journey. It's a process. But you taught me the importance from day one about branding yourself, you know? And, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've had a fine career. I'm not one of the big guys, you know? I'm not Maurice LaMarche. I'm not Rob Paulson. I'm not Bob Bergen. You know, those guys are are big. You know, they do cartoons every day, you know, and they're going around the world to conventions and whatnot. I'm not that guy. I'm I'm more, like I said earlier, I'm more kind of a blue collar actor. I work consistently. You know, I'm, I'm good at my craft. And when I started uh, teaching and making demos and, and things, you know, nobody really knew who Bill Holmes was. Bill Holmes was not a household name. And, but you ask somebody, you know, have you heard of the voiceover doctor? They remember that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a hook, you know, and I have people come up. Most people, 
refer to me as the doctor. Can I call you the doctor? I'm like, yeah, call me doctor. I don't care, you know. So it's been kind of fun to have that kind of second personality, you know. But yeah, I just I just kind of was looking at reality that, yeah, nobody knows who the hell I am, but most people know who the doctor is. And, and that, that, again, it's just kind of fun to have that, you know. I'm a, I'm a dart-playing, tequila-drinking guy, and uh, that's kind of the brand I have right now. Is everybody wants to buy me a tequila, and I got to back off of that because, you know, I don't want to become an alcoholic either. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been yeah. your thing since I met you. So I, I, can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, with me, it's more of a Dean Martin kind of thing. I, I talk about it more than I actually do it because, again, yeah. I'm at an age where I can't do it as often as I used to. So Yeah. And then diving into Curse Serum, the series, yeah. how was that process for you as a writer, as a director? Oof. That's a that's a show in itself. Mm. I primarily produced and directed. Uh, I didn't do a lot of the writing. I was mm. I was at the writing sessions and I contributed what I could, but I was so busy during the writing sessions of making sure that you know things were happening. Again, we're a mom and pop outfit here. We don't have a staff of people you know uh, working with us. So I kind of begged off the writing aspect of it, but the the directing was incredibly challenging because we we started recording of January of 2020 and that was right at the beginning of the pandemic so after about a month of recording we couldn't have actors come in and act off of each other so when you listen when and if you listen to car serum uh, just know that all the actors were alone doing their part not acting opposite somebody but acting opposite me basically mm-hmm. uh, giving them feedback or reading the lines with them or stuff, stuff like that. So so it was a very ambitious project and very challenging. And Shane would sit next to me here in the studio and I would have to look at him and go, wait a minute, what episode are we on? And what, what, is, what scene is this? Because we have 32 episodes of this thing and we did not record them in order, you know, in chronological order. We, you know, we recorded people when they were available to come in. So we might be doing episode four and then episode 20 and then episode 22 and so on and so forth. So it was really hard for me to keep track. But Shane, having been one of the main writers in it, he had that whole story right in his head, you know. So yeah, it was a, a very challenging experience. And but I'll tell you, very re- rewarding as well. I mean, I got to work with the likes of, you know, people I mentioned before, Maurice and, and uh, Rob, uh, Bob Bergen, Richard Horvitz. We had Jane Lynch did us a favor and came in and did some stuff. Uh, we had the Oscar-winning writer and director Cameron Crowe uh, came in, and I only I only met Cameron because his son, his college-age son, was one of my voiceover students, and uh, he was living with his dad when we were doing Zoom meetings. And his one day, Cameron stuck his face in there and said, "Hey, you know, thanks for helping my kid out." And I'm like, "You know, hey, nice to meet you." And he goes, "If there's anything I can ever do for you," I said, "Hey, why don't you be in my little show?" He goes, "Yeah, I'll do your little show. I'm sitting on my ass here during the pandemic." So we became friends, and he came in and did us a favor. And his son is in it, uh, Bill Crow, and he did a very good job in it as well. So. So I love the- Almost Famous. That movie is one of my favorite movies of oh, all yeah. time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he just had a run of, of that on Broadway, a short run of uh, the musical Almost Famous, which will probably be touring soon. And what. I hope because I missed it in New York. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe yeah. I missed it. Oh, wow. That's such a cool story. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. How neat. That's yeah. so cool. 
It is cool. It's cool for me too, though. I mean, we have, we actually have, we're working on another series right now. It's still being written, but it's a noir series, much like Carcerum, but uh, noir themed. And it's very dark and it's very political. And we were writing it at the same time we were doing Carcerum. And I just happened to be doing a job where I had Ed Asner in my, my booth here at the studio. And and again, there was a small part in the noir series called Hawk. There was a small part in Hawk that I needed an old homeless alcoholic guy, you know, for this, uh, you know, dingy city kind of thing. And Ed was, you know, Mr. Asner was in my booth. And I said, hey, uh, Ed, you know, I'm doing this little show and... Uh, yeah, I got like two or three pages here. Would you mind? You think you would mind doing this character? And he was pretty cranky and persnickety by then. I, I think he was 90 years old at the time. And uh, he kind of looked at me. He's like, what? What? And I said, I'm doing the show. And, you know, maybe maybe you could help us with it. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I'll give you 150 bucks. He's like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So we recorded Ed Asner for Hawk, which we haven't even put into production yet. And so, you know, unfortunately he has since passed away, but I think we're going to have his very last performance that he ever did uh, in our, in our show when we release it in a year or so. So. Wow. This is what a story. This is, this is like Hollywood legend stories in the making. This is epic. Um, when I had Tom Lawless, the president of Vox on the podcast i'll put that in the show notes as well his link but i asked him because he works with all the best actors and films and tv shows so it was a really i I set him up but i'm like what are what's one of your favorite movies and he said up with ed asner i'm like yeah Yeah. and and that was a few years ago so wow wow and just just to drop another name if i might yeah. Uh, the incredible movie star actress uh, Piper Laurie uh, is also in Carcerum. She plays uh, the the title char- the main character, female character's uh, grandmother in the very first two episodes of the show. So if you listen to it, uh, she plays. I think her name is Ama in it. And uh, again, I met Piper uh, because I produced her her uh, uh, audiobook. She did an autobiography and then she narrated, you know, she read her own book. And that's how I got to know her. I got to work with her for about six or seven months on that book. And we became friends. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store out here in Hollywood. When I meet these legends, you know, especially because Piper at the time was, I think, 86 when I met her. Hmm. And uh, uh, the fun story about that is she uh, she met me through one of my students who did a musical with her or something. Hmm. And he recommended our studio. And she came to meet me and look at the studio. And, and she kind of said, oh, you have a very creative space here. I, I like this. And I said, oh, thank you. She goes, what do you charge? And I said, well, this is what I usually charge, but I'm going to charge you half that amount. And she goes, oh, why Why would you do that? I said, because at the end of every session, you have to talk to me and tell me Hollywood stories that aren't in the book. <laughs> and she says, I can do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want you to. And that's how we became friends. We would sit and have a cup of tea after a session. And she would just, I would pick her brain and she'd tell me stories about Elizabeth Taylor and Roddy McDowell and all these people that she was friends with. You know, she did her screen test with Rock Hudson over at University. When she was 22 years old, you know, wow. it, it was just so exciting for me because, you know, to her, I'm a kid, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, um, oh, I'm looking at uh, classic. I just Googled and I'm looking at her like in her younger days. Oh, yeah. Wow. She was in The Hustler with Paul Newman. She was in Carrie, the original Carrie. She played Carrie's mother. 
Sissy Spacek's mother in that. Uh, she tells a great story about that, that she thought it was a comedy when she read the script. <laughs> Which one? Carrie, the horror film, Carrie. Oh, yeah, I have yeah. to see it. I'll watch it tonight. Oh, yeah, it's a classic. You'll love it. Wow. And she's, I mean, her photos are just gorgeous. So yeah. the person tuning in, just make sure you Google Piper Laurie. Wow. That, she's yeah. so, she kind of look. I kind of look like her in a couple photos, actually. Her, her profile. Yeah, during, during the hustle. Her nose, her nose yeah. how it goes up. Yeah. Her little like chipmunk face. Yeah, yeah. The profile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one's ever told me I resemble Piper Laurie, but I just, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Take yeah. it. Take wow. it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, what a cool story. How cool. I've been wow. very lucky. Wow. Okay. So shifting gears here, you mentioned some stories of how things were, where we are now. You mentioned, you know, doing voiceovers and doing on screen and then going back to voiceovers and you know, me personally, I did acting and then voiceovers and then got sidetracked And then when I got back into voiceovers, you got me with Vox and, and I got back in and, and, and once I lost it, cause I had it so good because I got, I got a, one of the top agents without ever having a demo reel. And I was working that way. And then I, you know, lost the course. So when I met you and got that grand opportunity, I, I stuck with it the whole time and I will stick with it because I found myself and my calling and my knowing. And then through my journey, I same with on-screen acting and then kind of, you know, got lost along the way, but it's all a part of the craft and the experience and the growth as a, as talent and applying it to the craft through experience. But, and then now I'm focused on getting back on screen. So the person who's tuning in, if it's whatever principle it is for them on screen, voiceover, whatever it is for them, for someone that's been out of it and coming back with the tools and evolution of technology and what's the protocol, what can you tell a voice actor to do, whether they're a newbie or someone getting back into it? What are some like ABC basics of, you know, what they can do? Well, you know, as I say in my classes, you know, everything I tell you is only my opinion. Uh, when you're working with me, there's no right way or there's no wrong way to do anything really as an actor. But for me, whether it's on camera or voiceover, it all comes down to the acting. It's all about the acting. You know, people say, oh, no, I just want to do voiceover. It's like, no, you know, you want to be an actor because that's what voiceover is acting. You just happen to be doing it in front of a stick that's hanging in front of you. That's all. And people ask me, oh, what about mic technique and all that stuff? And I'm like, yeah, don't worry about mic technique because if you don't have the acting, it really doesn't matter. You're probably not going to work that much. Now, again, something that drew me to you when I first met you is you had this voice, you had this, you know, little textury sound that you have. And at the time that we met, you know, and I think still that was, that was very hot in uh, demographically in advertising. You know, they like those, you know, for women, they like that, that kind of little texture. Um, yeah. I remember you told me I have the golden voice in voiceovers. I have that yeah. raspy quality that's natural that people practice a technique to try to get what I naturally have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, even with you, I've, I've always said, just focus on your acting. Focus, you know, it, it's not about what you sound like. You know, I always tell people, listen, you sound the way you sound. If you don't like the way you sound, get over it. That's how you sound. So you don't want to try to make that sound work. You just want to show people, well, here's what I sound like, but here's what I can do with my acting. I can make everything I, I go in for, I can make it believable, whether it's a commercial, video game, animation, or whatever. Very seldom are they looking for you to do a voice, especially if you're just starting out, okay? Like, uh, I'll give you an example of Richard Horvitz, all right? 
Richard Horvitz's Invader Zim, and he was in Angry Beavers, you know, and he always, you know, he always plays, you know, uh, characters who, who sound kind of like this, you know, Zim, 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 you know, he, he does that. That's what he does. Well, Richard sounds like that. When you sit and have a conversation with Richard, he has that voice, you know, and so his voice is there, but what does Richard have that the others don't? He has the acting ability. He has the craft behind him. And he, he actually, I'll, I'll give him a plug. He teaches animation classes too. So if you're looking to take a great animation class, call Richard Horvitz. He's, he's number one in my book. Him and Bob Bergen. Uh, Bob, Bob, I would say Bob is number one. He's been doing it longer. Uh, but Bob has about a three or four year waiting list to get into his class. Richard, Richard has been doing it pretty much just as long. And you can get into his classes a little uh, uh, quicker and stuff. And I know Bob's your really good friend. I've heard you talk about him from day one. For the person tuning in, uh, how about you share some of the characters he's done? Oh, Bob Bergen, uh, most famously, he's Porky Pig. He's Porky Pig. He took over for Mel Blanc when Mel Blanc died. I think he's Luke Skywalker in some of the, I don't know if it's the games or a, a cartoon series. I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff. He was Marvin the Martian. He was Tweety Bird, you know, in like in the movie Space Jam, you know, he did mm-hmm. those characters. Um, so yeah, Bob, has, he was in Fraggle Rock. He was one of the original Fraggle Rock kids, you know? So him and Townsend Coleman and Robbie Rist and people like that, they all kind of grew up doing all that stuff together. So yeah, Bob is, and he's an amazing teacher. He's a very, very good teacher, as is Richard Horvitz. If you're going to take animation classes, start with those guys. If you go to BobBergen.com, you can get on his waiting list. Just get on the waiting list whether you think you're going to do it or not. And that way, a couple of years down the line, when you're ready to go, you might your name might come up. Yeah. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have Richard's information at my fingertips here. Yeah. but um, So uh, where can people reach you? It'll be in the show notes, but where's, where's the best uh, way for people to contact you? VoiceOverDoctor.com. All spelled out. My website, all the contact information is there. Great. Yeah. So the number one thing for anyone, if you're a newbie or you're getting back into it, is focusing on the craft of acting. It's the number one thing. Focusing on the craft um, with quality people who have uh, great reputations. Yeah. You know, because you're doing the craft of acting and then it's also like your attention currency of the quality of the people we're surrounding ourselves with. And it comes with that network currency as well and recommendations of, you know, being great because it's the people who are teaching it's their responsibility you know bill saw something in me and then sent me over to vox because he like you said in the beginning they trust you to put the next generation of artists with them so and and most of the teachers out there that that are worth the money uh have those types of connections if you're a teacher who doesn't have those types of connections maybe you want to you know, upgrade. But it's uh, it's just fun. I just really enjoy watching people develop and get better and go on and do what they love doing. But you should do this because you love doing it. You shouldn't yeah. do this to try to make money. You shouldn't do this because, oh, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to, you know, further my career and all that crap. No, no, no. You should do this. I mean, I got into acting when I was 18 years old eh, because my high school drama coach said, you know, you can get paid for this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Some Somebody will pay me for this, you know? And again, I grew up in a very small farm town in Northern Illinois. And uh, I my first acting job, I got in a play at a an all-girls college 
So they had to hire their male actors. And my buddy and I uh, auditioned and we got in together. And I and they gave me $100 for, uh, you know, like two months worth of work. I got $100. And from that day on, when I was 18 years old, people said, hey, what do you do? I said, I'm an actor, man. I'm a professional actor. I've been paid, you know. And it's uh, since the day I was 18, doing this in high school and younger, it's just always been so much fun for me. And I'm, I'm a guy who likes to have a good time. And the reason, and so over the years, I kind of stopped doing on camera. I went more into directing and producing and whatnot, but I've always stuck with voiceover because voiceover has always been fun to me. I've always had a good time and the people around me are always fun people and they, they care about uh, each other. And the other thing about voiceover is, in my opinion, it is the purest form of acting because you don't you don't have your face. You don't have that expression. You have to get those emotions across with just your skill as an actor, you know? And, and, you know, uh, going back to Carcerum, that's something I really love about Carcerum and this audio podcast series uh, uh, medium is when you listen to Carcerum, you get to see what you want to see, not what we want you to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we see something in our head when we're putting it together, you know, and Shane and I, you know, we've done a lot of interview shows like this where people will go, you know, I listened to episode 22 and I loved it when the horse went up the hill and the hit, and then he hit this and then he did, you know, and the fight happened and stuff. Like, that was great, right? That's what you had, right? And Shane and I go, yeah, absolutely. And then we get off the show and I look over at Shane and go, was the horse going up the hill? I don't remember a horse going, where the hell did they? And Shane's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. But this is what I love about it because it's like, you know, my, when my youngest son listened to the first two or three episodes, he looked at me and he said, oh, dad, it's like I'm reading a book. Yeah. It's like reading a book. I, I'm seeing the pictures I want to see. Yeah. And I, exactly. And that, that was the biggest compliment I got when we first started making it. So going back, that's what voiceover is, though. That's what voiceover is. It's a it's a very pure form of acting. And that's why the acting has to be so good. You know, that's why you have to always get better and get better. And you're always learning how to act. You never you never figure it out. I'm 63 years old. I'm still figuring it out because I've never been a 63 year old person. And I have different emotions now than I had when I was 32. So it's just one of those things that it's always evolving. It's always you're always learning and you're always having. And in my opinion, you should always have a really good time doing it. You know, maybe get just a little bit of tequila involved and it, it's even more fun. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to try that. Beautifully said. That, that's so great. And, um, you know, um, I remember when I listened to the first nine episodes in a row, I binged it. I'm a binger. Nice. Uh, I, I lay down in my bed. I, I turned out the lights. I was in the dark and I was able to, yeah, have that peaceful journey and the sound design is just so immaculate uh thank you and the the just the the very opening of you know the sound design of the the boy being in the room hearing the the people in the living room and yeah yeah and it was just it was so like wild and and very very cool and shout out to dana powers yes um she's great and and phil reich uh ruben garfius Piper Laurie is in that episode, you know. Something more fun. I don't know if Shane mentioned it to you on on his interview. Right now, we are actually remixing the sound design in Dolby Atmos. So it's going to be even more immersive. Yeah. Right right now, we mix it in stereo, and it's really, really cool. We're going to re-release it uh, probably in about six or seven months in Dolby Atmos. And it'll be like you're sitting in a theater and everything's happening around you. It's really cool. Great. 
Love that. Super cool. Okay. Wow. This has been amazing. Any last words before we round it out? Not really. I just uh, thank you very much for having me. And it's it's good to see you. We don't see much of each other anymore. So it's really nice to see you again. I know. I know. I agree. And, um, you know, you are welcome on She's All Over the Place. Anytime. I would love to have you back in the near future. Okay, um, I'll be ready anytime you call. Great. Oh, thank you. Okay, so thank you so much for tuning in. There'll be links below. Follow Bill. Get in touch if you need a demo, classes, uh, the website. Get connected. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you share this episode with at least one or two people, friends who are into entertainment. Maybe they want to learn more about voiceovers. If you know someone who has like a really cool or horrible voice, maybe you want to like give them the episode for them to listen to um, this episode. Also, there's a link below. We're giving giveaways every single episode. So just click the link and in the contact, put a VO Bill Holmes could win the gift of the episode. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out.